0: Death to Peter Moran! Death to Aaron Armstrong! Death Death to to Wheel of the Watch!
1: to you. Death death to you as well? <laughs> I feel like Uh-oh. we should do this for every episode now. Yeah, really make it weird. Our <laughs> old yeller episode really makes people cry right away. Are we gonna do you think we're gonna do a does the dog die month at some point? Uh where the yeah. answer is yes for four weeks in a row. <laughs>
0: <laughs> we'll prematurely uninvite both of our wives to it. Yeah, we could do old yeller where the red fern grows.
1: Yeah, they they die in most of those. Uh,
0: Is there a movie for Where the the Red Fern Grows? Oh, yeah. The Grey is a dead dog movie. Mm, I'm pretty sure that that is Liam Neeson. Mm. Did you watch The Stinger? Old Dogs? (laughs) At the end, I guess they're both dead. Yeah, Old Dogs. I mean, (laughs) well, we're going to have to wait for John Travolta to die, but yeah. Oh, no, I made myself really sad because <laughs>
1: I just meant it because of the dog reference, not because 50% of the leads were dead. Hey, if you're still listening to this episode, welcome. Uh, we're, we love to watch. We're a movie podcast. We pick a theme and we do movies around that theme for a month. And this month we're on our third week of what's even real, man. And we're doing, a real, li- man? we're doing a little movie called Existence,
0: which it's a, from, wait, my, we did a movie. I thought we were reviewing the product Extends. (laughs) Oh, Peter. Oh,
1: yes. I mean, I (laughs) took it anyways because I always take it. But if if we need to do an impromptu review, I'm ready to go. (laughs) But my dick is Uh, not because it is broken from Um, two years of Extends. Review? A lot of penis. More penis than usual. More penis. You know, it's great that you bring that up, Peter. I think penis is a good segue for this movie because I remembered it. I haven't seen it in about 15 years. Really liked it, but then never owned it on DVD or Blu-ray. So I rented it a bunch on VHS and then somehow just never picked it up until recently. Uh, I very much remember this being a Matrix-type virtual reality movie. Uh, Did not realize how much it was about sex. It's really... The Sex Matrix. And I, I mean, I watched this when I was like 15, 16, 17, 18. I was having sex. Uh, humble break. Uh I feel like I should have recognized it because it's – let me just say it's not subtle.
0: Uh, no. No. Uh, it literally – in the, it, and before they even get to like the weirder sub-universes, they're, they're talking about bioports, which are these weird little buttholes in your back that you jack into. And also – Far, far more sexual than the, the ports in uh, the Matrix. Um, like literally, they're spitting fleshy.
1: in it, they're tonguing it, they're saying it's new, so it's very tight. Um, yeah, it's it's, uh, it's about as sexual as you can get, and I uh, I missed it. I didn't remember it. I mean, I knew it was Cronenberg. It's our third David Cronenberg movie uh, after The Fly and Shivers, and yeah, I feel like this should have probably been in a sex month as opposed to a virtual reality month because <laughs> that's a
0: lot about sex. It's like it's like as horny as Crash. It's just like And in the same way that makes you feel super comfortable. <laughs> it's just not literally about
1: sex, you know. Not literally. It,
0: it, it just contains it's like it uses sex as a metaphor, whereas Crash uses sex as sex. <laughs>
1: it contains sex type things. Maybe yeah. maybe this is what the Stone Temple Pilot song was about, a sex type thing.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: You remember their song, Sex Type Thing? Uh no. Oh. Okay. You ask your older brother. Worlds, Aaron. I know. The, the early 80s. The late 80s. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the Mr. Show sketch. I Let's just... I, I want to bring some up here. Feels like a good time to talk about it. Uh, what do you think having sex with David Cronenberg is like? Because do you think it's... And there's no wrong way to have sex as long as it's consensual. I'm not trying to make any judgments. Mm-hmm. But I'm just wondering, is it like maybe some kissing? Maybe some foreplay? You know, wham, bam, thank you. And then he's done. Goes about his day just kind of everyday run-of-the-mill bland sex? Do you think it's like only like it's kind of weird? Like it's all that stuff, but then once in a while he like sticks his finger in your belly button and then smells it or something? You're like, that was a little <laughs> odd, a little out of the ordinary. It didn't hurt anybody. I was fine with it. Uh, but that makes sense because it is David Cronenberg that there'd be something in there. Or do you think it's just fucking crazy? I,
0: I bet you – okay, so first off, you know how everyone thinks like – oh, horror filmmaker, they must be really fucked up. They must be really weird. And then you, any interview with any of these horror guys, directors, actors, whatever, it's always like, Well, Wes Craven is actually really sweet and gentle and apparently treats his actors really well. Eli like, Roth Ra- is the exception that proves the rule. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think Eli Roth... I don't think Eli. I think Eli Roth makes some cruel and shitty movies, but like I, I think his, I, I think people like him.
1: Yeah, know. he's. I mean, it is fun to hear him talk about horror movies, even if uh, lately he's, he seems like even worse than he used to be.
0: I wish he was like a writer for a website instead of making movies that aren't make that don't make any real political point, except for like this generation. Not even saying this generation does X. It's just this generation.
1: I mean, we've talked about before, I want to do the hostile movies. I'm a defender of those movies, though I haven't seen them in a long time. So who knows if I would still be a defender of those movies. Uh, and I really like Cabin Fever for just visceral grossness.
0: Yeah. Well, OK, so I the thing about these guys is in, you know, people think like, oh, he's got to be so demented and fucked up. And then they meet them in real life and they're they're perfect gentlemen. Uh, who's the Doug guy who plays uh, Hellraiser? lead Cenobite Uh, Doug Bradley something yeah I think it's Doug Bradley uh he's supposed to be like a total gentleman Gunnar Hansen who played Leatherface like all these guys are supposed to be super super nice and so like you you take that and you extrapolate it out like I'm sure he's actually pretty normal in bed however I bet you there's a period like post Videodrome when he got real weird in bed just because he was like my brand doesn't match what I'm putting out there you know And we're using normal as, like, vanilla or... Yes. Heteronormative, boring, missionary-style sex. Yeah. Uh,
1: It's... Yeah, I don't know. It's one of those things, too, where you could also see at the other side, like... He just like wants sex to be done because he doesn't like it. <laughs> <laughs> like, so it's really like vanilla and quick because it's like, okay, whew, okay, uh, all right, yeah, he, I survived. So all my, heart. I don't I have any us. new, I don't have any new holes. Uh, <laughs> uh, all the weird fluid has finished draining from my body.
0: Okay, I'm gonna go spend three hours in my peace room. And... I think he has the same clock time as Christopher Nolan. It's just that he's way more anxious during it. Yeah, and I, I recently uh,
1: purchased Crash because uh, guest Carrie Nelson had rewatched it. And I, had, I hadn't seen it since high school, but I've kind of always said it's one of my top five Cronenberg because I, I liked it so much. Or I saw it in college, not high school. Um, and uh, But I've been meaning to rewatch it. But yeah, you get this like run of like – and we've talked about how like Existence is like the end of his Cronenbergian run before he kind of still makes very good movies. But they just uh, – they they don't have that – body grossness to it but yeah this run of movies from like shivers and rabid to existence uh i actually think the most uh the most least about sex that's a that's a good way to say that sentence good sentence structure uh, <laughs> the one that's like least about sex or has these like grotesque sexual elements is the fly which we did uh i mean shivers is about dis disc Cap, decapitate, dedicated dicks that run around so i mean that one's sexual and rabid is about someone who is rabidly having sex with
0: someone and starring marilyn chambers who is an yep. adult film actor so the brood is like the af- the the horrors of the aftermath of sex yeah uh, the brood is like the brood is like hey you're having fun with your wife having sex all that stuff After the divorce, everything turns to monsters. (laughs) Look at all these sex monsters
1: you made. Um, I guess uh, I haven't seen scanners in a while. I don't know how much scanners is about sex.
0: Uh, Scanners is only about sex in that when they're trying to blow each other's heads up, they totally look like they're jerking off. Uh, And also, Uh, I guess when your head explodes, it's yeah. The dead zone's not really about sex. Dead Zone's Dead. pretty pretty sterile in terms of sexual stuff. But
1: that's an adaptation to a Stephen King novel who is <sighs> famously terrible at sex.
0: Yeah. Like
1: that. <laughs> we know. I, mean, I, I don't, know, I don't know if he's I don't know if he's terrible at sex, but definitely his depictions of of sex in his novel are not what I would say highlights of the prose. No, well, no. Uh Naked Lunch is about, it's about sex. Yeah. And Butterfly, probably about sex. And then Dead Ringers, of course. Again, once again.
0: Ugh. Dead Ringer's is not just about sex. It's specifically gynecological. Yeah. It's about like, like, you know, I'm not interested as much in how sex organs interact. I just really want to drill down, get into the nitty gritty of of how this one sex organ just hangs out. Yeah, so this really is the end of his sex run,
1: which uh, sounds like something really awesome you could do for charity. But in this case, it's just a string of movies he made with uh, definitely uh, had some... Uh, Again, I don't know if it was just something that he found interesting to depict. I think with Cronenberg, the thing is, is that he is kind of fascinated by and we talked about this on Shivers, like our bodies and the way they work. And one of the from a alien looking down at us, one of the strangest things our bodies do is like our our sexual parts and the way they fit together and the other, you know, all that kind of stuff. This, is, this sounds like I'm now Cronenbergian, uncomfortable about talking about sex. But like from from that, you know, that that alien viewpoint, it is like our bodies are kind of these weird, gross things that kind of do these gross things together. And so I since his obsession is with like our bodies and our flesh and the way they interact. It makes a lot of sense how much I think his movies naturally gravitated towards depicting sex in these disturbing ways
0: because he
1: was good at depicting our bodies in disturbing ways. Yeah.
0: And he and what's interesting is that almost as a ch- the whole last let's say 15 years of his career, it seems like he's been challenging himself to expand out the boundaries of what he could do. Actually, even I mean, really uh, m butterfly feels like where this, this is the, the most recent string of movies is is continuing from but let's just say the last 15 years ever since history of violence because like history of violence Spider. has has a sex scene in it that people like count as like one of their favorite sex scenes the scene where vigo more on Stern the is giving, giving oral sex on the staircase yeah like people love that thing And it's like a very erotic, very sensual, very direct sex scene that's not fucked up. It's not it's not versed in any sort of abusive relationship. Um, Like, you know, there's because there's a lot of sex in a dangerous method, but it is in a one could argue an unhealthy relationship. So, like, it feels like he was expanding out his boundaries and everyone just wants him to return to, you know, return to to the to the brood. (laughs) return to return to this this is a sickening freaks and he's like i make respectable movies now and then you see maps to, maps to the stars which is like the trashiest movie i love maps to the stars that's the last movie he made
1: uh, i have not seen a dangerous method spider or cosmopolis uh but not not because i've been avoiding it just because one of these days i gotta get around to him but i you know i love history of violence i love eastern promises and i love maps the stars and i like I find that if directors are not interested in returning to that that area, it's not worth going, man, I wish you would do that again. Because he he made a lot of movies that feel of a piece. um, Like a lot of movies. Like he stuck to one thing and gave us a bunch of different angles on it. And most of those movies are fantastic. Like I don't want it to be like a fucking Terry Gilliam thing where he like goes tr- and tries to repeat the success of like. Brazil and the adventures of Mar- Baron uh, Munchausen and do uh, the Brothers Grimm and Zero Theorem and shit. Like, Brothers Grimm I like, but Zero Theorem is garbage. And I was so excited about that movie because it's like, Terry Gilliam, weird future stuff, uh, can't wait. And it it felt like a straight-to-video movie. And I don't know if that's because he didn't have the passion behind it or didn't have the budget or just didn't have the talent. But I, one thing I like about David Cronenberg's recent movies is that what, whatever reason he's decided to kind of put that that box away, he's still making really good movies, and even if they're much different. So whatever that is, whether he just feels like that's just not something he's interested in, whether it's something he's covered to death and has nothing more to say about it, you know, he's following his muse or has followed his muse, and he's you know he's he's still making good art as a result. Yeah, so that's why, like, Cronenberg doesn't need to bring the flesh vaginas back.
0: Yes, yes. That's the point, is that we, is that, ooh, I think a lot of horror fans in particular are bugging Cronenberg to make that brand of fleshy horror movies. And in a weird Cronenberg-y way, his son, uh, Brandon Cronenberg? Yeah, Brandon Cronenberg makes horror movies that are very similar to David's early work. Yeah, it's kind
1: of like how uh, Jason Reitman makes movies that are of extremely varying quality, much like his old man.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's true. But it's like, and it's like, we, David Cronenberg gets to, you know, retire from this stuff. And, you know, you can't say that he abandoned, there's this stupid idea that he abandoned horror We can't say that he abandoned horror. He did it for 25 years. He did it for 25 years. And he did... And he does interviews with horror filmmakers. Like, he just did McGarris's podcast. And, like, he does... He loves... He, he loves talking to people that are interested in having interesting conversations. It's yeah. just that he doesn't want to sit in a fucking booth at a horror convention, like, and that is only only for the strongest of uh, of horror dudes, like horror dudes and ladies. Like, you have to have a strong back to be like, I'm going to this convention this weekend. That is my whole weekend. I might not make very much money off of it, but. Uh, I need to say hi to my fans and I need to go to this appearance. Like, yeah. The fact that he's willing to sit and talk to fans is like almost a, a saintly activity. It is a little strange that it ended with this, like
1: that run ended with kind of Crash and Existence, two movies that I think are not as well remembered as the rest of his kind of, uh, I don't know what you call it, se- sex run? We'll call it. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, body horror sex run. They I think they are a little more of like asterisks. Crash being like notoriously like it's not released on Blu-ray, you can't rent it digitally. It's not one that someone has ever thought, this is going to be a moneymaker, even though it feels like it is dying for a uh, Criterion or Kino or someone to, you know, uh, Shout Factory, Scream Factory to release it. Um, And then Existence, which also kind of feels like a movie because it was released with the last two movies that we covered, mainly The Matrix. But I think it also came out after The 13th Floor, uh, came out uh, July Uh, and it, we, well, I want to talk a little bit before we get into the movie proper of like my experience with this movie. So I I am pretty confident that this was my first Cronenberg before I knew who Cronenberg was. It was – I was super into movies. I was into stuff like uh, looking at movies at RogerEbert.com and starting to try to really like watch these ones. But I just started working at a video rental store. I was I was able to watch movies while I worked and I worked there like five or six days a week. It was like a little like gas station adjacent one. Uh, which even went out of business well before the industry as itself went out of business. Like they stopped having those. Um, so like no one would come in and I could, I'd work a six hour shift and I would watch, they had, you know, they had a TV with a VHS player and I would watch three movies a night. I watched so many movies and got paid 515 an hour to wow. do just that. This one really was like so I think it was before I really got into directors. I think that was right around the corner but besides like the Burtons and the Spielbergs and the ones that everyone kind of knew if they were a you know just a general movie watcher or even a slightly a film fan, I don't think I really was like locked into Cronenberg yet but I I saw it. It looked interesting. It just – it kind of fits in my head along with like Pi and Ravenous and Cube and these movies that were – all like had one video on the new release shelf, which was rare, and I'd never seen previews from for the most part or hadn't heard of, but they had all these good pull quotes on the cover. This one's definitely is like, if you liked The Matrix. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. And it was like, oh, I do like The Matrix and – I, you know, I have all the time in the world to watch movies so that even if I watch one that I'm not a huge fan of, it's not that big of a deal. So, yeah, it, this really was just a video store discovery for me, which were always the best things, like, to find. Just like, oh, this amazing movie I've never heard of. No one's talking about it. And that's why I became evangelical about it. Like, you need to see this. Like, this is an awesome virtual reality thing. Uh, And it had a lot of weirdness to it. And then obviously, like, I definitely saw The Fly and Videodrome and Naked Lunch within the next year or two and became, you know, Cronenberg was one of my my first directors that, like, I was like, this is one of my guys. Like, this is one of my people. Like, his movies are amazing and weird and different. And if anything, what's strange about revisiting this for the first time in so many years is that it's actually, like, pretty reserved for a Cronenberg movie. It has a lot of odd stuff, and there's a, a huge sexual component, which I didn't get. But there's a lot of plot machinations that could have just existed in any uh, 13th Floor Matrix type movie without the Cronenbergian, like, touch. And I really like those elements.
0: I also don't think – the I think the gore is gross as well, but the – and the, the the sexual moments, the sexual sort of body stuff is gross. But I don't think it's like – top tier throw you off your game yeah holy shit what am i looking at the way parts of the brood or videodrome are yeah or naked lunch or
1: crash like this this yeah. is just like it's almost like you had some leftover parts sitting around it's yeah like well this is the last time i'm gonna do this let's take a few of these ideas off the shelf and and toss them in there and it doesn't mean that they feel like added on it just it's, it, it almost is like a perfect get someone into Cronenberg movie uh, it, it besides like the obvious ones like The Fly because it is like it's got – it definitely has a, a sheen of uh, his body horror elements and his – that kind of like oddness like why are these pods life forms and they're made from these other organs and stuff like that. But they are touches to f- – to forgive the pun – flesh out the world. As opposed to, like, the main focus of the movie, I think.
0: Yeah, I agree. It's it's world building over a mechanism which drives the themes, which is a little different than, yeah, previous movies. And and not to say that there isn't gross shit in this movie, but, like, they're, they're, they're super gross shit. Cronenberg, we're used to Cronenberg taking gore hounds that are immune to everything and making them squirm. There's stuff in, there is stuff in Videodrome that to this day is like, every time I watch it, I'm like, and I'm pretty desensitized to this stuff. Yeah. Um, but that, but there's there's stuff he can do. He can do shit with, with the sound effects and the, 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 the visuals that just like are unmatched. Like he's not going for the same effect that everyone else is going for, which is just like, let's get lots of blood and lots of tentacles in there. He's like, I want you to feel the texture of this disgusting thing.
1: <laughs> yeah. It's visceral in a, in, in a human way. And like in, in human is not the right word. A, a visceral in like an unnatural, like almost like, dare I say Lovecraftian way where it's like, I don't quite understand what I'm seeing and it's gross. I think this movie has that moment where they're like kind of uh, doing the surgery on the game pod where it is just like a bunch of organs and flesh and tendons and ligaments, but not in a way that like makes any sort of fleshy structure that you've seen, but yet it's like contains all the parts. So like you're watching something that is like seems to make sense in the world. It's not just a pile of like discarded body parts but it also, and it's gross and visceral and pulsating and alive, but it's also unnatural that like your mind is looking at things that shouldn't be connected, being connected. And so it gives you that sense of like, I don't like what I'm looking at.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, there, the, he, he still had a talent for making you uncomfortable in that you can't quite put a finger on. And I think the the one thing that, separates Cronenberg from all other filmmakers and yet connects his uh early movies to even his late movies, is that sort of uncanniness in the performances and the music and the way scenes are timed and the weirdness of it all, that uncanniness is is really potent here, and you can feel it really potently and, and it and it uh it makes you feel like everything is an unreality to it, which really serves a movie about simulated reality, right? Like, a- a- and that uncanniness is interesting compared to the gore factor because the gore factor is like, you're like this weird little console. They have these weird little consoles that are like, I don't know, they're four, they have four <laughs> tendons and they have like a nip, a small nipple and they they sort of, um, the reason it's indescribable is because it reminds you of, it has an uncanny way of reminding you about real things about life, and yet there's an unreality to it because it's not du- a direct representation of something in life, right? It's not a fake yeah. penis. It's not clearly a fake penis, but it does kind of uh, retract and extend the way a penis yeah, does. I, like, yeah, sorry, it, contract and extend the way a penis does. Like, it's... It's like an N64 combined with a penis. But there's also vagina parts in there, too. Like, there's sort of a vaginal labial. Or the anal
1: parts are... I feel like the vaginal anal parts are the the holes that they drill in people. Because this is all, like, connectors. Like, it has its, like, single-player port, but then it has up to, like, eight tentacles to plug into other boxes.
0: I'm looking at it right now, and... It, it has neither a male nor female quality to it. Yeah. It, yeah. It's kind of it's kind of the little bulbs could just as easily be nipples as they could be testicles. Yeah. Um, there's c- kind of a soft tissue thing that could be either a penis or a vagina. It's fleshy. Yeah. It, it's, yeah it's just it's it's gross as fuck is what it is. Yeah. It does kind of look like it has like two nipples. Yeah, right. It, it's not, but it's not strictly and the way it contracts and stuff. is not well, also kind of looks like
1: a flattened penis. I don't, you know?
0: Yeah. And that's what it's uncanny about it is that it's not a direct representation of any single sex organ. It could, it, it's got it, the it hose, sort it's of got reminds like an you umbilical
1: cord too. It, uh, yeah.
0: It's, uh, I, it's, I would say it's unique. And they talk about it. Uh, Jennifer Jason Lee talks about it, uh, uh as sort of like a baby. Like, so it's not a sex partner so much as it's also a child and it was birthed out of her creativity because this thing houses the game, Existence. Which, by the way, is this the greatest disparity between bad title and good movie? Yeah, because
1: the movie title is like, is supposed to be bad. I like it. I like like saying it in a weird way. I liked saying it when I first heard of it. Like, Existence, because when I first saw the video cassette, I was calling it existence.
0: Because you think it's just a cool way to say existence, right? Well, I, then, would, I, would, I would put cool in the biggest quotes, like, you know, type 12 font for cool and then scare quotes. Yeah, yeah, S- like guys, the guys, no 24. fear
1: surge Tony Hawk version of cool, right? Yeah. Uh, I, but like, but then the fact that it's not existence spelled in a 90s way, it is existence. Like a, how many of those, like, Do we have for medications now, right? That are like, or like that are not quite a word extends. Yeah, like yeah, exactly. Like, let's think of the most obvious one. Uh, oh yeah, there's one. There's one called a sleeping pill called Restorol. Restorol, yeah. Like that's that is a perfect example. And there's so many of those of like things that are like supposed to evoke the word without like trying to claim a copyright on the word rest or <laughs> existence yeah let's let's uh let's get into the movie uh proper because we do have to get into plot stuff
0: but uh peter i before we do i didn't hear like your history with this movie. because and here's why i didn't hear it you didn't say it oh okay uh my history with this movie is that i caught it at the perfect age i was like 13 and i didn't connect it at all with the matrix which i was very into it was just like on hbo because the movie. Uh, the movie did not do well, guys. This is part of the reason that Cronenberg stopped doing horror. It's because the horror movies stopped doing well. It, it, it had this awesome effect for me because I was into video games and was thinking a lot about video games and their sort of context. And why are we playing these violent fantasies? And why are we engaging with these worlds? And I was just starting getting RPGs and expanding out like what is the storytelling component? Yada, yada. So I was kind of at the perfect age to discover this. And then as the years went on, I was like, it has a really dumb title. And it's, like, the last Cronenberg horror movie. Like, maybe it's not as good as I remember. And I've revisited it every three, four years. And every three, four years, I get, like, excited about it again and want to tell everyone about it again. So uh, I've had a long history of this movie. And this is one, This was on our short list for, like, we made a list of 50 movies we, we really wanted to talk about. Because so we were basically, like, trying to figure out what we wanted to do for the show. And this was on my, my list. I was like, this is a movie that I think is underappreciated. I think that it deserves a good deep dive. And I think that we're the people to do it. Uh, yeah, I, this
1: was an easy no-brainer one that I was excited to talk about and revisit. Let's get into it. Let's get into um, the last movie that David Cronenberg wrote until Cosmopolis. Uh, he stopped writing to <laughs> this. Yeah. Uh, and let's talk about the only movie ever inspired by David Cronenberg's nephew, uh, pointing a drumstick at him at Thanksgiving and going bang, bang. That's not true. That's not true. Uh, <laughs> this is fired by the satanic verses, but uh, it feels like it feels like there's a there's a version of this where Cronenberg's having a nice Thanksgiving with his family. His nephew picks up a drumstick and goes bang, bang. And he's like, I think I just hit gold.
0: <laughs> he's like, don't shoot me with your bone cannon, child. Oh, <laughs> A
1: genius has struck. That's what Canadians sound like.
0: Uh, anyway, let's imagine talk like a twelve-year-old more... just like pointing a pointing a bone at David Cronenberg. You can't tell if he's terrified or not because his hair is bone white and sticking straight up all the time. And <laughs> did, did the uh, assassin kid? And then all of a sudden, the, 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 the little kid, little kid, wiggles out a tooth because he's got a loose tooth, and then just throws it at David Cronenberg, his second cousin. And David's like, I can't believe he do that. I got a movie to write.
1: <laughs> Guys, Thanksgiving's canceled. <laughs> <laughs> he literally like throws everyone's he throws the turkey on the ground, smashes it like I need to take these parts
0: back to my laboratory where I write my stuff.
1: I have no- a lot of diagrams and and stuff
0: to make. He's like he's like I'm sorry for getting upset and all of a sudden the turkey starts writhing and yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just starts like writing. All the food on the table starts looking vaguely vaginal and phallic.
1: P.S. I forgot to tell you, I connected my mental energy to the turkey earlier. It was so that you guys could consume me in the flesh. But instead, I need to take the turkey and go back to my my typewriter. I have some stuff to do now. <laughs> Thanks, Dave. What's
0: with your brother-in-law? <laughs> I. T- I knew we shouldn't have. I knew we shouldn't have come back this year as we do every year. This isn't always true but there is a
1: good chance that someone's brother-in-laws David Cronenberg.
0: <laughs> it's a weird thing to think about. That is very weird. Do you think uh what what was it the the turducken? Uh yeah, do you think that whenever he serves a turducken he insists on doing it the proper way which is to put each of them in a teleporter? I think he probably inserts them live. <laughs> and then cook
1: them. <clears throat> so, so what we're saying is uh, David Cranberg who is like totally a, a talks to normal uh we're we're we're, we're adding some uh, affectation to him.
0: Making him kind of a weirdo. I, I just don't know why anyone thinks that I'm weird. And then he just smacks this weird turducken monster with a hammer.
1: Yeah, the only way to meet your brother-in-law in that situation is like, he's actually just around the corner at a house. He just like swings out like, Hi, I've been here the whole time listening to the introduction. <laughs> May I sniff the sweat off your hands, please? <laughs> Love sweat because it comes from the flash." <laughs> It's like the flesh making little babies.
0: <laughs> <laughs> All the time. I like how the human body is like a sponge, just constantly taking in liquid and exuding it. <laughs> taking in liquid, and then the guy's already walked well away. Can you imagine hey.
1: if uh, your skin babies that are also called sweat got divorced from your body? <laughs> Who would have custody? <laughs> <laughs> We're leaving. (laughs) Uh, This is Dave, your brother-in-law? Why is he staring at me like that? Just, uh, just checking something. Just (laughs) intensely staring at your head for no reason except to just get a visual, visual representation. Hey, can you give me your
0: hand? Can you put your hands together and then spread apart your ring finger and your middle finger? Then insert the crack of that into my crack. Then look inside. <laughs> yeah, yeah, David, it looks like a vagina. Yes, yes, it does.
1: Did I just see you swat a fly? <laughs> huh. Didn't know my sister married a murderer.
0: <laughs> you don't know that if that fly went through a teleporter device with
1: a human being. How much human DNA is on your hands right now?
0: <laughs> he just starts jerking off on their <laughs>
1: could we make a new you and insert, insert it rectally into the old you or is I called normal sex <laughs> oh. I really don't want to kink shame David Cronenberg I don't want to kink shame him uh, I also feel like we could do this for literally the next three hours because he's got a lot of examples we could pull from but instead let's focus on Peter do you wanna talk more about existence?
0: Yeah, let's talk about extends. alternate taglines peter you're right uh alternate tagline
1: yep alternate tagline what if instead of uh plugging your nintendo controller into the socket you plugged it into your asshole vagina or dick hole <laughs>
0: <laughs> what if Frontline's Front lion's question yeah i feel like it wouldn't work um, yeah well you're not playing existence Ah, that's true. Um,
1: what's the name of the game at the end? Uh, <laughs> do you remember?
0: I tried to look it up. Realismo. <laughs> um. <laughs> uh. So, do I? Do you want me to do a little recap rooney of this? Old do thing? a little recap rooney Yeah. Uh. I. Don't need to tell you this, but feel free to interrupt me uh, if I get anything wrong. So, we (laughs) begin. Mm Do you want to talk about that for a little bit? Yeah, the the movie is similar to an Inception or... No, I meant that passive-aggressive insult at me. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just kidding. (laughs) It's similar to like an Inception or any sort of con man movie where there are multiple layers of reality and you're viewing one and... You know, you might have some hunches that you're not viewing. You know, the topmost layer of reality, uh, but you you kind of have to just follow the story as it goes.
1: So, well, and that's the end of it too, right? Like the did we reach the final layer?
0: Yeah, that's yeah. Spoiler alert for eight seconds from or eighty seconds from now. <laughs> but the end of the movie is someone going, going. Wait, are we still in the game? Um, so. This is about this is a movie about a game designer uh, and some, what what Geller, um, Angela Allegra Alleg- Allegra Geller, who is uh, has has a like li- literal cult following, and they're doing a sort of um, focus group testing kind of thing. Um, it, I'm guessing invite only at this church. And uh, there's a guy checking, uh, you know, people at the door for guns and weapons and recording devices and yada yada. Mostly recording devices uh, named Ted Peichel. That's Jude Law. And uh, basically Christopher Eccleston is walking us through what the movie is. And the movie is about Existence, which is this game that uh, Geller has worked up. A game that Geller has worked up that she spent years on. And it's all stored within this game pod, and they're doing a sort of demonstration of the game. The game works better with multiple users, and so a bunch of people get loaded into the game. This gets interrupted when an assassin pulls a bone gun out of his pod and tries to murder Geller. That assassin gets murdered, but she insists on getting out of there with Ted Peichel, and that she can't trust anyone. Why does she trusts him? I guessing. She just thinks he's an idiot. Uh, and she, uh, she takes him on the road, and they go on a series of episodic sort of delving deeper into the layers of existence. Uh, first they have to do is they have to get a um, – get Ted a uh, bioport which is similar to the jacking in thing from the Matrix. You need a port directly into your brain, your spine, whatever. In this case, it happens to be lower spine. Uh, And they need to go get that. The guy that gives it to them is actually trying to assassinate Geller for a bounty and uh, gives Ted a fucked up pod, or fucked up bioport, which almost kills her pod. And then the rest of the movie is them trying to Fix this pod. Make sure Existen survives as well as uh, Geller survives. They go. They go into the game, and they go on a series well, of adventures. First, first, they go to their company, her yes. company. Well, they go to they go to someone who's like us. Like it sounds like he's like a, a, an independent engineer. But no, I thought Ian Holm
1: works at his works at her company. Like that's why she's like we're safe. We're going to basically my company. Ian Holmes. Like, what did you do to our like so. I think that like that, even though it looks like a fucking chateau. Yeah. uh, I think it's if they're not at her company, Ian Holm works at her company.
0: Yeah. 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 And he offers to fix up her game pod. And uh, it's a it's a surgical operation. This thing is made of flesh and bone. And uh, he more or less does it. They find out that. (laughs) They find out this is so hard to talk about. They find so out then that then they finally they fi- plug into it. They pl- they finally plug into it, and they go into the they go into this world about these trout farmers, these guys that mine these these uh, amphibious uh, creatures to make game pods, and they they learn about the struggle between the realists and the something the gamists. They don't really have a word for them. Yeah, and it's essentially... Well, actually, they're, they're, they're... let's... Uh, sorry, I'm doing
1: one of my famous interruptions. <laughs> um, but uh, it's actually worth noting, I think, when they first go into the game, they go to a hub world with different games, where then they pick another game and then insert that game
0: into themselves. They go to a Steam or an Epic Games store yeah, or a and PlayStation they pick... Network store.
1: <laughs> yeah, and now eventually that store becomes part of the game. But I think the implication is is that once you pick your game, you. So I, I feel like the implication is that you could they could have had a different experience if they would have picked a different game.
0: Yes, there is, and uh, there's a game script that they have to follow to progress the game forward, and the movie is very much about uh making it to the next stage. So they're sort of feeling pushed along to perform activities that don't necessarily feel natural to them, but they uh they feel like, well, I have to I have to give in to this or I have to, you know, just accept that the game is going to take me over and sort of autopilot me for a little bit and uh so the game can get us to the next section, which is yeah. Weirdly like a video game cutscene where you're like, oh my character is now making decisions without me okay i guess that's fine um, well
1: i also you know what else as long as you mentioned that it also reminded me of, like one of the one of the things of this movie is that like if they start talking about the game or something that's not plot driven the the npc characters the game characters just stare off into space until you start interacting with them again which reminds me so much of like all the dumb videos that people create of them like like taking off their clothes or like doing weird humping motions to these npcs that don't react because it's like it's not part of what the character in the game would do. It's the player just fucking around. Um, and then when you go back, they don't like respond to you until you like reinitiate whatever dialogue tree that you need to initiate.
0: But yeah. So anyways, getting back to it. We, yeah. So the, there's a conflict going on uh, between that's essentially mirroring the conflict on the surface world, which is that there are people that uh, believe that this sort of uh, video game universe is evil. And then if there are people that uh, engage with it. I mean, I guess it's not really like an ideological struggle in the sense that like they're having an iconoclast versus whatever struggle they're having a, they're having a struggle where there's like terrorists attacking the, the business status quo. It seems like almost everyone, when, when Ted says he doesn't have a bioport, port, uh, Allegra like shames him. And it's not just that she, he works at a gaming company. It's that he's like, she's like, you can get them done at a mall now, so it seems like the terrorists. It's like an ear piercing, yeah. Yeah, they, they they it seems like the terrorists are fighting a status quo. So I guess it makes sense that there wouldn't be a name for, you know, you wouldn't call you like for instance, let's talk about our present. Not to not to assign any value stuff to, it, but let's talk about our present political situation where people talk about like socialists versus they don't say socialists versus capitalists, they just say no. socialists versus socialism is bad people, yeah. yeah. They say socialism versus whatever, and it doesn't matter what you think about any of that. But it's it's just the idea that like the status quo doesn't need a name. Sometimes um, I do feel like there might be a, after there might be something.
1: That, I feel it, like there might be something, but whatever it is, is it's not too. Um, yeah, so not sticking with me.
0: So there's this conflict also going down, and as they delve deeper into the game, the game starts to introduce this theme of disease and death and sickness as they they you know jump around in more narratives. And they both get out of the game, they think. And Jude and Law's uh,
1: port is infected because it, Ian Holm was a traitor.
0: Yeah, that's the only plot movement I don't like in this movie is that they do the infected port thing twice. I like it because it's a different
1: type. One's the electrocution. Um, I I don't know. I We can talk about it. I, I think it's fine because it's almost like a game like... I don't know. Let's let's get past it. We'll, we'll, yeah. we'll circle back.
0: Anyways, it happens twice. Essentially, the por- the, the thing gets fucked up twice. And uh, how do they get back into the game? So anymore? then they go confront Ian Holm.
1: And Ian Holmes like, I'm not actually with the realists. I'm with a competing game company. And I killed your game box but took all the code out during the surgery. So I have all the data if you want to quit the current game company you work for and come work for me, I, you'll have you'll have your pod back, but then also, you better make a decision quick, because the the terrorists, the realists are attacking this compound and then she's like, she kills him and meanwhile, Jude Law Law's like this still feels like a game and then, and then that's when Jude Law reveals himself yeah, so Yeah, so Jude Jude Law reveals himself that he is actually uh, working with the realists. why he didn't have a game report. And he was supposed to get close to Allegra Cole so that he could destroy her. And she's like, fuck you, I knew that the whole time. Of course that's who you were. Why do you think I wanted you close to me? Because I wanted information. That's why I wanted to port with you. Because then I could find out, like, because people's psyche affects the game world. Mm-hmm. Which is why, like, you, the disease is in there, which is why there's, we find out later, there's, like, this anti-gaming streak in the game. Uh, so she, like, that was, they both had, like, the same, they knew who each other were, and they both kind of were using each other. But then she shoots him and screams, did I do it? I won the game in the place that you, the, the, the movie's starting to cast doubts on whether this is the world, the real world. But this is her finally saying,
0: hey, I won. Did I win the game? Yeah, which is very interesting because when she pulls out of the game and we're revealed to be in the actual top layer, well, as top as we see.
1: Which we uh, haven't been before.
0: Yeah, that is – it was a, you know, a uh, sort of focus group testing on a new game. Christopher Eccleston is still there. It's still in its shirt. They're all still there. They're all still there. Different characters we've seen, including Wom Dafoe and such, are there. But the, um, <clears throat> the, the, the the dynamic has changed and you suddenly realize that the, the, the what you were seeing before, it, it's not just that they threw one last twist at you. It's that they were using the reality, a, a version of the reality that they were in to mask you going down a level. You were always within the thing, and your idea that we can retreat back to this surface level is uh the surface level that we began the movie with, that Ted Peichel and Allegra Geller worked for this gaming company, yada yada. That is reality. That is not reality. That's that's not reality. That's uh that's another version of, of the fake reality. And now we're on an even more top layer, and we realize that uh Jude Locke and uh, Jennifer, Jason, Lee are terrorists with the realist movement and they assassinate people. The actual the, game designers. The actual game <laughs> designers. And they start shooting people in this church Um, and they have normal guns. They don't have bone guns, which I think helps imply that it's in this might be the top layer. Well, and, and their
1: game machines are no longer these organic Cronenbergian creatures. They just look like heavily advanced vr game systems
0: yeah it's essentially like a spine that goes on the top of the head yeah um and then you take it off you put it on yada yada it's very similar to the device in strange things strange days strange days fuck you stranger things i, I love stranger things but like but fuck you come on you're an inanimate object yeah uh just a light fuck you just a friendly just a These are friendly how do you do how do you fuck do you. how do you do go fuck yourself They basically point their guns at a character and say... Well, the character says... the character says, wait, are we still in the game? Yeah, tell me the truth.
1: Yeah. Are we still in the game? And you don't know. Like, you've you've basically been at that point in four layers with the top layer you see at the end. But otherwise, you've been in three layers because you were in what you thought was the real world, which was actually the... Not existent. Let's say layer B. You're in layer B thinking that it was the main layer. And then eventually they get to layer C, which is game um, store. which is the game store in the hub world that has crossover again to layer D, which is the game they ultimately played through the Existenz game port. So when you do get up for air and it's the whole idea is that like. So here's where I think it gets a little bit interesting from the like whether they're in a game or not. And it's not it's 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 an Inception thing. Like it is it is not supposed to be answered. It is a fun. You don't know what's real. It's again, there's not a mystery, I think, to figure out. But you think
0: thing, it's a, it's you can move the pieces around. You can play with it. You can maybe like solve for one side, but it is not a puzzle box. Where no, you can come out with an objective answer. And that's the entire point. That's another weird thing about the movie is that. That that even even at the weirdest level, David Cronenberg even at the weirdest part of the the movie The lowest rate. It doesn't it never gets into the Apple uh yeah, the D layer, E layer, whatever. <clears throat> the Apple design aesthetic never penetrates this movie. It's never about gloss. It's never yeah. about sheen. That, that vision of the future was just basically copying Steve Jobs' marketing. And what you, what you realize when you're watching a movie like this that like was made in a non Apple ecosystem that was specifically skirting that is that, is that you're like, the future might look more rustic. It might look more, you know, uh, nuts and bolts. It might look more um, tactile. It might not look like this shiny, uh, untouchable thing. It might look like something we can actually grab onto because maybe the technology is so alienating. Maybe the device has to be inviting in some way, like yada yada. Sorry, go on. on. But I was just saying, like, that's something cool about the design aesthetic and even the costumes in the movie. They're not wearing glossy, (coughs) glossy vinyl costumes. They're wearing like wool and grays and browns and like they look cool, but they they just look like they look like New Yorkers in twenty nineteen. I don't they don't. Yeah,
1: and some of that is almost implied by like yeah. Once you get a gaming system to this level, like what else are people doing? Like. They work to support their gaming habits, but like the idea of creating stops existing in the real world and exists more in the game world, which is kind of Willem Dafoe's thing, right? Like, yeah, I'm a gas station attendant, but when I play Allegra's games, I am a God creating my own worlds. So I do this so I can keep buying the new games. And in a way that has given me satisfaction. Now that character doesn't actually exist that is someone playing a character in the game which adds a whole other other layer to this discussion but I still think I think the twist nonwithstanding I think some of the themes and the idea of gaming as or even just technology that like becomes your whole life uh, as something that Cronenberg's concerned about makes a lot of sense Cronenberg's whole thing besides you know fleshy stuff is like a concern about like technology and like and even you know even dead ringers is like has has those amazing moments with all of the different gynecological tools which is like the the technology as like a horror and even if it's not like advanced technology and of course video is like you know you know this is almost a update uh of video f- from a thematic sense which is like tv's going to become this thing that gets stranger and stranger and weirder and weirder because people are need to keep pushing the limits of like daily entertainment.
0: And even though... And can I jump in there real quick? Yeah, if yeah. Willem Dafoe says, I'm only a gas station attendant on the most pathetic level of reality. Exactly. And, and this is when you believe that they're on the you know, A level, but they're really on the B level. Um, He's basically saying like, I'm not a gas, st- gas station attendant. Like, yeah, it pays the bills, but... I I you know I'm this guy. I'm in my virtual reality self. That's my reality. Yeah. Sorry, go on.
1: No, no, that's you you're 100% right. And uh and and that's important for some of the other stuff that I think I think in some ways this movie is a little prophetic and I want to get into that in a sec. But like in the same way that like Cronenberg with Videodrome was concerned about like, you know, that was like at the advent of cable comes out a couple years after that and it really is about like if you start having unlimited channels and unlimited content that you need to constantly pump out. Where does that eventually go? And that's kind of really boiled down like what Videodrome's about or, or at least the jumping off point for the, the plot in In that movie. It goes to these like fucked up videos that people can't stop watching because it's something new and different. And they've seen everything else because everything's available all the time. Like Videodrome is actually one of the most prophetic movies of the last like 25 years because uh, he was so right in a lot of ways of like what the internet ultimately became, uh, in the way that we started viewing content through there, and it, existence feels like a like a, a, a another version of that, where this is no longer just you passively watching something. This is you engaging with technology in a way that is different than anything else that has ever existed before this. And sure, you know, in 1999, it's a lot of it's a lot of GoldenEye and Resident Evil and stuff like that, but. You don't have to you didn't have to be a, a technological genius to realize that this was going to continue to advance.
0: And even this was this was the year I think a year or two or within a year of the release of Starcraft, which is a game that famously like captivated people to such an insane level that like uh, there was a couple uh, in Asia who played Starcraft, I think, so long that their baby died.
1: Yeah like or that. like
0: uh
1: everquest i think came out in
0: 98 yeah and they called it EverCrack. <laughs> yeah because you just would play it non-stop and that that led to world of warcraft just a few years later and people still play world of warcraft i'm not saying that yeah. in a pathetic way i'm saying that like the game still exists like there have been people that have been living a virtual world in warcraft for a decade over for yeah, a decade that's insane well, and that's more
1: to, like, how many times do you hear people talk about, uh, like, I, you know, I've, gone, I've talked to people who are like, yeah, good luck telling my kids anything. All they do is, like, Fortnite, 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 like, which is in a way that was even, I think, you know, e- even more addicting than it was for us as a kids because it just the, – the one thing about video games that existed when we were in 1999, for the most part, with a couple exceptions, or when we were younger – Was that they were limited. You could play them over and over and over again. But like the experiences themselves were limited. They followed a code. Even later on when when San Andreas or something like that comes out. And there's hundreds of hours of content and side missions. At some point you can finish it. And you'll play it again. But there's not unlimited gaming content. Now there is unlimited gaming content. Not just in the way they're able to deliver it digitally. And the amount of games there are, but the amount of these kind of like MMOs that you can play forever and not have the same experience. I mean, you will in the sense that you're shooting people, but, but, uh, you know, every match is different. There isn't a computer program besides defining the the walls of reality. And so like, there is a lot more of, as someone who plays video games quite a bit, I'm not, and I don't, and I, and since I don't play MMOs, I don't want to be like, my video games are good, and these are damaging.
0: But <laughs> I because Beats throw ours away after, you know, a month or whatever, and then we yeah. move on to the next one, it doesn't make ours any more... Well, any more bad or
1: good. Like, I'm not yeah. saying these things are bad or good. It's just we have advanced to the point, and we're almost there when when Existence came out, of like, I can just exist in this world forever, and that can be it. And I think that is also, and also you're interacting with real people, which is also a big change as opposed to just like couch co-op, co-op or something like that. So you do have like a culture that has has risen up around these games with the advent, you know, with the expansion of the internet and the fact that the ga- games are played with anyone across the world because it all exists in this virtual space and this unlimited experience. like the idea is that there is a damaging culture behind that that occurs. and even though, that damaging culture of like this weird civil war between realists and imagineers or whatever. Uh, <laughs> we got our own different damaging culture of like, that is uh, even more bizarrely sprung off from the marketing of games in the nineties where they stopped caring about women who played video games and only targeted it to men. And then when they expanded it again, there's like this huge contingent of men uh, who grew up with the, with Nintendo and Sega being something that was specifically targeted to them it was a guy thing yeah boy was, stuff it was boy stuff and so now is it's like when they when they when game companies and everyone else went like oh shit is it dumb that we're excluding half of the world in our entire market Considering women
0: were still playing those games yeah. right like women were still playing the games it's just that they uh they were they were not as recognized as part of the market and you're like well they're buying the fucking thing. maybe they would buy more of the thing if you actually even nodded at them.
1: yeah it it is just like I I do think there's been a lot of great stuff written about is it. like that decision and then pulling back from that decision is like one of the main instigators into like the gamergate and gamer culture and like all this like misogynistic stuff that has crept into like these real political movements like, like Trumpism and nationalism and a re rise of Nazism. Like it is insane that that Nintendo going, What if in all our commercials we just saw a, a boy? Like led to like the led in a weird way, not a direct line to like the resurgence of Nazism. So I don't think Cronenberg was 100% right in what he saw the future of gaming going, but the fact that it was leading to, like, some level of cataclysm culture that couldn't be sustained, he
0: was dead to rights on. Yeah, and it's and it's and even more interesting because it doesn't align directly one-to-one with any modern political paradigm. No. Like, like they literally call the... Uh, uh the you know the realists like oh they're waging your fatwa against you but like other than that the movie is not the movie is not making fun of islam the movie is not doing anything like that it's literally just saying like there is a there is a religious movement moving against you and that religious movement can be aligned with any sort of any sort of cult movement, any sort of larger religious movement, uh, it can be aligned with Catholicism or Christianity because they're in a church sitting in a circle almost as uh, a... Yeah. Almost is a Last Supper or a 12-step program, <laughs> like people sitting around uh, bonding on equal level. But there's, you know, the game designer in the middle, like it's the Last Supper. Uh, but also they call it a fatwa. So it's almost like the, the concept of, you know, de- de- declaring something against God. Um, yeah. Well, like- and the most unrealistic
1: part of that is that.
0: A one of the guys that has the little
1: part that um that dies early didn't throw his controller on the ground and leave, and that they all the other guys there were cool with a woman being the lead character. <laughs> like, those are the two <laughs> most unrealistic parts in our current culture of like what we saw.
0: Uh, yeah, that's that's uh, that was I was thinking about that. How like weirdly enough, the the violent cultists in this are uh, preferable uh, <laughs> over uh, modern GamerGate assholes.
1: Yeah, it, it is just crazy. Like, man, Cronenberg, you know, I, I know we talk a lot about like these visionary directors and like in both Video Videodrome and Existence, it's it's not that he was able to like predict what was going to happen in specifics or even in the example. But he was able to see like this is going to be a problem. Yes. You know, in a weird way, like in, so in Videodrome, it's again, never ending content is eventually going to be a problem. And in this, it's like. Being able to immerse yourself in a reality that is – and making – that is that is just taking input from you is eventually going to be a problem. It's different than the other sort of art things that have come up because you're not passively interacting with it. And he didn't know exactly how both of those things were going to be problems. I would say his predictions were a little off. But <laughs> many, of the, many of them involved holes in bodies.
0: But uh, – He also but put a, a year on anything, I don't think, which was a Well, we don't even know.
1: Yeah, as far as we know, this is like either taking place in we, – we don't even know if we ever got to the real world. So he was right that like in general, like there were some culture problems that were going to arise.
0: Yeah, and uh and the fact that he was willing to turn a lot of this stuff into lore, the idea that that people would be so up in arms about these movements, about these these uh these video game movements that like they would be uh, they would become violent terrorists. However, his it's not qu- clear where his sensibilities lie because he does seem to be in awe at the possibility of human technology cuz like he sent interviews he's an, he is a tech nerd like that yeah. is his that is his primary thing like if it wasn't for movies like it, he would have become a designer he would have you know hardware or software he would have become a patent guy like he would have would have remained connected to technology regardless and he's always yeah. been infatuated with it yeah he's not a technophobe not infatuated not, like, with, it in not, like, war- with it he's not like he's not
1: warning against yeah. technology he just is like like a lot of like visionary science fiction people he you know it's why we watch so much stuff from like an arthur c clark or uh isaac asimov or even uh you know these types of like even star trek stuff where like you people go back and go oh my god like look at this it's like they all have uh ipads and facetime like in star trek the next generation and that was supposed to take place in the 23rd century it's crazy how like they, they knew that's how communication or even like, you know, the in the old Star Trek series, how like they look like flip cell phones and stuff like that. And and some of that is just like you're able to look out. And if you really are like committing that to fiction, you're like, OK, here's how we communicate now. What would be a way that people would like to communicate or where could this go from there? And then like, you know, a lot of these very smart people f- kind of figure that out. He's
0: not going for. Yeah, you're you're totally spot on. He's not going for a literal depiction of what he thinks the future will be 10 years from now, the way Arthur C. Clarke or the Star Trek guys are being. But he wants to talk about the themes and how these themes in our culture are going to extend forward for decades and decades and how this is a problem. Like you said, this is a problem. I don't have a solution for you, but we're going to have to figure it out.
1: Yeah. And as a techno nerd, he knows it. Like, that's the thing. Because he's so interested in technology, I think that's why he has been right in general of some of these like movies of where we were headed. Just because if you, if you see something that's this popular, the one thing, you know, as any, is like a, uh, someone who's interested in technology is like these trains don't stop. Right. Once something is as popular as TV, TV is never going away. It might change incarnations, but it's that train's going to keep going. And there's a lot of different ways that that could happen. It's like, you know, music never is going to go out of vogue. We, we may have, like, styles of music that we can't even conceive of right now. Um, in the same way that I'm sure if David Cronenberg in, like, the 80s heard fucking uh, Deadmau or some Mouse, he'd go, what is this? Are the aliens attacking? But, like, music's never going to stop. And so when you have something like TV, when you have something like video games, I think it is easy to go, okay, well, this is going to be around forever. Until the world gets destroyed, What's next?
0: Yeah, yeah, he and, and and what I like about it is that he's not aligning himself with either movement. He could I mean he clearly thinks the realists the cultists are kind of insane. Otherwise he wouldn't have those those shots of uh Ju Law and Jennifer Jason Leigh going death <laughs> you know, death yeah. to existence, death to whatever. Like he, they they look insane. They're not that's not them making a good argument for, you know, this sort of almost random terrorism. Um like, the fact that they're going to go shoot that, uh, the one dude, uh, that one dude who was the waiter in the Chinese restaurant, um, yeah. he's not given an actual name, um, because they've only really associated with him on the digital level. Uh, the fact that they're about to go shoot that guy, it seems like it's just, like, random violence. Like, he's clearly not associating himself with either movement, but he's saying, like, there will be a overcorrection from these yeah. movements. And, and I love that he's, like... He he does seem seduced by it, like, but in a way that he's like oh, clinging to, he's clinging to his rationale at the same time. Like, there's this moment where Jude Law comes out of the game. Well, what you know, one layer of the game, he goes up a level, little. <laughs> What's we'll Um And he says, uh, "Real life feels completely unreal. Uh, yeah, safe, boring. Uh, worse than that, I'm not sure that here is real at all." And that that sort of uh, uncanniness that I talked about earlier that feeds through the whole movie that uncanniness is is clearly I think Cronenberg speaking. He's like people are going to be seduced by this technology. I am seduced by this technology. Like, well, and that's the thing that happens, right? Like, even for us, I I remember when I when Grand Theft Auto three
1: first came out, and I was obsessively playing it like everyone else, and I would get in my car and drive around, and you'd be like. You would, you would look at things a little bit differently. You'd be like, oh, I could crash into this car and I could get into – like your mind is still like kind of – not that it, you, it's like – not that you are confused by the reality and the fiction, but you start looking at all the cars as like things to hijack just because that's all you've been doing. And now you're seeing these things in the real world. There's so many games like puzzle games – where, you know, I would obsessively look at stuff and then you start seeing blocks and you're like, Tetris, I can move that like that. And then I could arrange it. Like you just see shapes in the real world and you start thinking about it like that. So like that already happens with games that we're not like physically inside. of. Where <laughs> I guess I guess the more accurate version is where <laughs> games are physically inside of us. <laughs>
0: in uh, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Your brain wants to be in on the fun. Uh, so it inserts black frames So your brain is filling in the imagery. Your brain is jumping to the conclusions and sort of interpreting the information and saying this is real. And that is why VR feels so uncanny, feels so strange, feels so uncomfortable. And then you're, and and then you get used to it and then you're comfortable in it. And then you take the fucking headset off, and then the real world looks weird. <laughs> it looks weird. And also it is the strangest thing ever. Also, I don't drive after I do VR. <laughs> I, I basically treat it like booze. <laughs> <And> like <laughs> if I did an hour of VR, I don't know if I like I did I did one day like I I uh Ubered home from a friend's because I'd been VRing all night and I was like, I last time I drove I felt kinda swervy and weird afterwards. The thing that VR does
1: amazingly is that like, you know, you're sitting on your couch because you feel your couch or you're standing on the floor. And anytime you do that thing where like you're, you're aware of yourself, your consciousness is like, I am sitting in my living room, but all of your senses are like, I'm not in my living room. So you almost like have this like thing that you need to let go of where like, I need to stop thinking I'm in my living room. Because everything else is telling me that I'm not – I have too much to engage with to keep telling myself over and over, I'm in my living room, I'm in my living room.
0: Yeah, so at free, some your, point free is, your mind and your ass will follow, so to speak. Yeah,
1: so at some point, you do unconsciously start forgetting that you're in your living room, even if obviously – if you stop for a second to think about it. But you just – because you're doing actions and, and get up like any game, you get obsessed with it. And then so you're right. By the time you're ready to take it off to go to the bathroom or because you're done playing or because someone has walked in and hit you and you haven't even known anyone's in the room because you have these headphones in and everything else. Like, it is crazy how it's, like, coming out of, like, a holodeck. You're like, oh, yeah, that's right. You guys have all been sitting next to me the whole time and I couldn't hear anything you guys were saying because I'm immersing myself. Like, it is, like coming by the time you take it off it is like coming into a different world
0: it's disorienting because and i think that reading about the technology that actually makes it work is really interesting because you're really reading about how how we perceive things as real jumping back to the, the the love the cronenberg thing where you insert this umbilical cord into your back it's a sort of sexual experience you're literally invading your body with this this game game port you feel a connection to it you feel close to
1: it and when they do have sex they incorporate that into their love making it's the only time that lick my gamer hole was not an insult but actually
0: a true <laughs> act of passion it's true and it's like so Also, the secret is that Cronenberg is actually good at shooting sex scenes. That sex scene in, like, that back warehouse room is, like, really hot, but it's not – it's in the middle of this very weird, uncanny, strange movie, and, like, they're being driven by this, like, unconscious desire, so you're like, neither of them is providing consent? I don't know. Um, Well, that's that's kind of the genius of Cronenberg, right?
1: Is, like, if it was just – if it was uncompelling sex to watch, like, filmatically – yeah, it would just be gross. the The fact of <laughs> yeah. the matter is, and that's why, like, what makes Crash, I think, so disturbing is that there is something sexy about the scenes themselves. If you took out the Cronenbergian uh, aspects,
0: yes, and it's, that's uh, why that's why it's true. difficult to watch. That's 100% true. And that's that's why he's such a good filmmaker is because he's not actually showing his hand that much. Um, and what I'm getting at with all the VR stuff, obviously, there's a literal component to it. But like in a figurative component, VR, this this pod thing is invading your system. VR is also sort of a hacking your your brain a little bit. It's tricking your brain. It's performing a, a beautiful illusion, but still an illusion on your brain. And... Uh, the fact that it's, it's, it's taking, it's essentially just taking over your eyes. It's taking over your ears and it's saying, Hey, motherfucker, let's go on a ride. And, <laughs> you know, move your couch over a few feet because you're going to need it, that sort of thing. Uh, and Cronenberg knows that it's seductive. He knows that, that, that this, this technology is, is uh, really cool and it's fun to play with. And he's not being a grumpy old man about it. He's, he's, yeah. saying, he's saying, I understand it. I play with the same stuff. I'm engaging with you on the same level. I'm not speaking to you from an ivory tower. Literally the only quote in the movie that feels like it's like Cronenberg speaking directly to us is when he's like, this game costs $38 million to develop, not including pre release marketing costs. And you're like, you can tell, you can tell Cronenberg is mostly just mad about how art and art and business intersect. Yeah. It's, it's almost like he wrote that line after trying to get money for this movie. Which you didn't get much. I want to talk about that next. Also, movies and games are way the fuck more expensive than $38 million now. $38 million would be an awesome game budget or movie budget right now.
1: We're going to make that back. No problem. We don't even have to add microtransactions. (laughs) Easy peasy. Yeah. Um, I I think the other thing that Cronenberg understands, though, is that like I think we've been a little slow as a culture and I don't think we're even there yet to understand that like We understand, like, political and religious movements or cultural movements. We don't quite understand technological movements as having the same underlying reaction, right? Like, cultural movements, political movements, like, religious movements. We understand that, like... Those have positive and negative aspects and then there's reactionaries to those. And those aren't just like people reading books at home or thinking about them. Like they tend to take to the streets. They tend to get elected. There tends to be some real world uh, cost good or bad by that idea existing. And one thing Cronenberg I think understands is that like these kind of things that are just as much a part of people's lives as their beliefs in any of those categories. And as such – There is pockets of extremists. There's reactionaries to the movement as a whole. And when you have like rock and roll music become a big thing, you end up with people decrying it as like the end of the world and revelation and devil's music. TV became this thing that have like how many offshoots of versions of like the parent television council and whatever William Donahue's groups are. Movies were the same thing, like video games. Even at this time, how many people were – just years before this movie, like video games now had ratings. By the time this movie came up, and you know, people were like, "Should we ban them? Should we?" Because of Mortal Kombat's like, like little fucking cartoon blood that would show up. Like, but I think Cronenberg understands that like these are truly like movements in the same way those other things are. This, this, and people spend as much time with them. And as such, like as they become more and more prevalent, as people spend more time, and I'm like new versions of beliefs and ideas expand out of that. And I think we're, we're just seeing so much more of that today. Mostly, unfortunately, when it comes to games in and in an extremely negative impact on culture, like most gamers or people who play video games, because uh, again, the majority is still women and most of them are not gamer gators or not are not terrible but like the 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 gaming culture so to speak as a whole that has turned into a political movement or I should just say a technological movement is almost all like the worst people that you could ever imagine yeah <laughs> like and that's and so like so I think I you know yeah. when I saw this when I saw this movie I think this I think it's at the time it's supposed to be almost close to I don't know how I I thought of his parody, but I I thought it was like science fiction ridiculousness. The idea that there's like people saying death to realists and there's like literally people killing people so that people will stop playing video games. Like that seems absurd in 1999. Now, maybe not exactly that, but like this feels almost too close to home. If a hundred years from now, I could see us having something called the gamer wars
0: that are literal wars. Like it doesn't feel as far fetched anymore. It it doesn't. It really doesn't because let's let's even get away from VR and a deeper sort of involving media experience. Let's get away from it. There are literally people who don't leave their house they only talk to their families and they're only on facebook with their families whatever and their version of reality is whatever they see on fox news and that's it they are living within a simulated reality and i don't i don't mean this is like like liberal pap bullshit i mean this in the sense like we are already fighting this this sort of uh We are already fighting these sort of culture wars right now where between people who believe two different things about the same event that does have some objective truth. People will look at the same exact moment filmed on camera. But because Tucker Carlson interpreted objectivism in a different way than – he interpreted objective reality in a different way than anybody else with a reasonable opinion would, there are millions of people that have adopted a simulated reality. And that is not people hooking themselves up to Fox News and walking around Fox News' second life set. That is people just watching TV. And if people catching TV – when they're making dinner or before they go to work or whatever. This is not people sitting and, and playing Fox News all day, right? I mean, with yeah. retired Worst game of all time, by the way. Yeah, it would be terrible. But like... Oh, it, all my dialogue choices are bad. <laughs> all my dialogue choices are racist. Yeah. Um, I'm not saying that for liberal points. I'm saying that for... Though I, I am a lefty and uh, I hate Fox News and want it to be destroyed. But my point is this. You can form simulated realities without all the goggles, without all the technology and all of that bullshit. All you need to do is find a way to get in people's houses and make it so they feel so comfortable with this little piece of technology. This they're just they're, they're so comfortable with TV. They're, they're, they're great. Grand. You know, their grandparents had TV, whatever, um, that all of a sudden their reality has been somewhat shifted away from what actual reality is.
1: Yeah. So, yeah, you're right. People can invest, exist in a virtual space with virtual knowledge. That's based without even plugging into a game. But to go back to even like the enhancement of games to like MMOs and stuff like that and how that kind of is in a weird way, a fulfillment of like this movie's ideas. The difference between like playing a game in 1999 and playing it in 2019. If I play a video game and I end up coming out a Nazi as an extreme example, like if I was indoctrinated by that video game, (laughs) it is because... I was super into a video game that the developers and the publishers and the video game system that released it on was like, we are approving of this pro-Nazi game that then me and maybe some other people that are have a affinity in some way to Nazism come out going, yeah, I uh, I do think I'm a Nazi now, as we're now, the internet, video games, MMOs, like Apex Legends, And Fortnite can be Nazi propaganda machines without anything in the game being Nazi. It's just that you can find a team that is a team designed to make friends in this virtual video game space and then slowly get you onto your, you know, to to basically recruit you into the cause of maybe women are bad and other uh, races and uh, maybe we should do something about it. You like me, right? I just saved your ass from that frag grenade. Like, that, you know, and just like a lot of these virtual spaces, like video games have become a recruitment center for these extremist, terrible ideas. And so, yeah, you can come out of Apex Legends being a Nazi, even though there's nothing pro-Nazi in the game itself, which is in some ways like this idea that you could play these video games in existence and come out being a a realist terrorist because of the experience you had in the video game. And that is a a big stretch that Cronenberg foresaw in some way.
0: Yes, yes. We talked a lot about the plot and the yes. plot seems incredibly complicated and it is. But the fact that the fact that both of us agreed on all the specifics of the plot means that we followed the journey of the characters as they descended through the levels. And they. And, and it's a weird thing is that Ted Pike kind of like 13th floor, right? Like it's complicated to describe. It's actually pretty
1: straightforward besides the ending of whether it's whether they're in a game or not. To actually experience, yeah, I don't think you'd watch this movie being confused. Yeah,
0: Thirteenth Floor uh, is not a great movie, but it at least expresses its somewhat complicated plot well. Existens and The Matrix are both very good movies and explain their very complicated plots very well. And a lot of Existens is is uh, tell, not show. Um, Which is also true of the Matrix. The fact that Cronenberg was tapping into not just, you know, I like this gross body horror stuff. And I think the idea of our bodies being infiltrated by an alternate reality uh, to be somewhat grotesque, but yet also somewhat alluring. Uh, makes for a really good melding of body horror and technology, and yes, it's it's essentially a spiritual. It, this is the casino to uh, Videodrome's <laughs> Goodfellas, right? Like very much so. Like people might not like it as much, but like you gotta you gotta give it credit. Uh, yeah,
1: it's building off the same ideas to tell a different
0: story, and I think
1: an equally relevant story because I don't think they're the same thing.
0: Yeah, Cronenberg was not interested just in grossing us out. He was interested in using this sort of gross out nature to make, to make you realize that like, yes, you are being invaded by a lot of these technologies. I need you to realize that also let's get into the nitty gritty of why that's cool. Um, yeah. He's not doing it from a tech bro way where he's like, yes, I, I acknowledge your argument that this is fucked up, but think about all the cool YouTube videos you could see about Nazis—it's—it's—it's um, it's, it's a different thing. It's him—it's him acknowledging. Uh, he's doing a very human thing. He's acknowledging how cool this stuff is, but we also need to acknowledge the struggle going on. Can we get into all the weird, awesome shit in this movie? We've been yeah, too serious for too long, Aaron.
1: Yeah, and we're, we're actually almost done, so we should talk about some cool shit. Um, I'll leave an obvious one to you and just go down. I really like the uh, the clues that Reality B is not the real world from the get-go about how like stuff has like Repo Men-type generic names. <laughs> country like, Gas Station. <laughs> country Gas Station. Like It is that kind of... Uh, oh, and, and, and that's preceded by Allegra saying, hey, we can go get you a game report at a Country Gas Station. Uh, And then they go to a place called Country Gas Station. Uh, And there's a few more of those, like, little, like, oh, wait a second. It's like, why would you name this generic gas station uh, in a video game? And they didn't because it's a video game. Uh, Also, just a little, like, to call David Cronenberg and say he's been uh, bamboozled, that he was wildly incorrect. Uh, At one point, Jude Law's like, hey, all video games can be paused. And I'm like, (laughs) pfft. Not Dark Souls, baby.
0: Not Dark Souls. He didn't. He did not anticipate. Thank did you. not anticipate that Dark Souls Bloodborne would eventually go. No positive. It would not. It would not be one of our podcasts if we didn't somehow bring this back to the Dark Souls. Dark season. Souls. So um, I'll leave my favorite element that I'm assuming you're going to talk
1: about. We're going to talk about the Chinese restaurant, right? Oh, I thought you were just going to talk about bone guns in general.
0: Yeah. So there's a scene. There's bone guns in this movie. Bone and teeth guns. Bone and teeth guns. They're they're guns made of bones that fire a clip of teeth. They literally have teeth. They get loaded into a clip. and, And there's a lore reason for it. Essentially, they're saying, like, we now have scanners that will scan for, you know, metal guns. They'll scan for synthetic weapons but they can't detect a gun made of bones it will just look like, you know, organic tissue. And as they delve, you see more of these bone guns. Allegra gets shot with one. Jugal has to dig a fucking tooth out of her, which is like, that shows you Cronenberg still had it. Like, the shot of him like, kind of awkwardly digging with a penknife, digging out a fucking tooth out of her. Uh, And then he's just like, there's a human tooth in you and they, it takes like almost a five count before they show the tooth in the palm because Cronenberg wants your brain similar to VR Cronenberg wants your brain to fill in how gross this is before he shows it to you. Um, yeah. And, there, and there's a very famous scene from this movie. Perhaps perhaps the only thing that people remember from it, if, if you've seen it uh, where they go to a Chinese restaurant, they order the special and it's all of these, dis- this disgusting fish. And yes, the scene is probably a little racist um just like that weird stuff in men in black 3 um probably a little racist they they're digging through this plate of these disgusting trout creatures that they make the pods out of and jude law is driven driven even though he doesn't want to to eat and take apart all these these fish to assemble together a bone gun and then all of a sudden he like he like reaches in his mouth. He notices something. It's loose, and he pulls out. He has a he, he has a fucking set of teeth, fake teeth, in a nice even clip. He just loads it into the bone gun and then shoots the waiter in the face. And it's so gross. It's like a straight up Paul Verhoeven thing where it's just like blood shooting everywhere. And you see the it's, it's so it's so gross. And he's shooting teeth into somebody's face.
1: Yeah, uh, it's that that part is so awesome. It's so rad. It. Yeah, the teeth through the, ironically, the teeth, because it shoots him in the left part of the jaw.
0: Yeah, it's like he's putting teeth in his teeth.
1: He's adding teeth. If anything, I'm surprised that there wasn't a thank you.
0: Yeah, that's, like, got to be at least a $1,500 oh, charge. Thanks for the teeth. Yeah, Implants are, the teeth. are
1: expensive, dude. Yeah, that part rules. All this, like, design stuff in this movie, we talked, excuse me, we talked a lot about the Gamer Pods, um, and it was great. And, yeah, it's, it's, like, it's not as present as, like, the plot and the machinations and that's that's obviously because there's a lot to get through here it's only actually like an hour and 30 minute movie uh so there's a lot going on to get from point a to point b to point c uh but all the little Cronenbergian design stuff in the bone gun is just so so good anything else before we wrap up here peter
0: yeah i uh, my final thought on this is that this is this is one of Cronenberg's most playfully self-aware movies the The fact that he has stuff like uh people within the game critiquing the game like they 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 uh there's a character that leaves the room after they talk to them like eh, it's not a really good intro to the game he's not a really a good intro to the game his dialogue's a little stiff like they're just making fun of him they like, hey, we could probably they could probably punch that up um and uh Jude Law is talking about the world and he's like everything here is so dirty, so absurd, so grotesque. They're like that could be the tagline for the movie, right? Like, everything here is grotesque and absurd and dirty, and, and but that's followed up later with Jude Law says, "I find this disgusting, but I can't help myself," and that's what Cronenberg is to me—is like. He finds all of these abuses of technology and people abusing each other in these relationship ways, like in, you know, mostly Dead Ringers and The Fly are mostly focused on relationships, not technology. But um, plenty of his other movies are focused primarily on technology. Uh, he's, he's like he finds the way that we we, we abuse each other. Uh, so, so horrifying and so grotesque, but he just can't help but look. And that's why I love... I love Cronenberg and I think he, yeah, you use the word vital. Like he still feels so vital. Like even his movies that I'm not a fan of, like maps to the stars, like still feel like something that you, like it feels direct. It feels like it's talking to something subconsciously. Like it's going, the uncanniness is not operating out of pretension. It's operating almost subdermally. Like he's, he's speaking to something a little fir- deeper to you. Um, and that's why also this movie can be a little funny. Like those critique lines are very funny and, and the way characters act weird is very funny and the way he'll just drop lore on you is funny when he's talking about like, so what did it make the pods out of? Fertilized amphibian eggs with synthetic DNA. This is this is Cronenberg at like his, in, his, in a weird way, his funniest and most self-aware because he's like, yeah, this is all gross as shit, but like, yeah, you're going <laughs> to look. I'm yeah, looking. I mean.
1: I mean, that's almost like exemplified by how far they go in the, uh, the pod stuff and how, like, again, it's, it's laughable that I didn't figure out what it was referencing when it is like, uh, oh, it's so tight. <laughs> like, and like licking it. Like, it is, it is crazy that I didn't see, maybe I did, and I just didn't remember it, but like, it feels like watching it, it was like, this is almost Cronenberg parroting himself levels of like, obvious sexual metaphors yeah um but it, but it works it works really well it just for some reason
0: i was like yeah why did, why did i remember any of this yeah and he's super aware he's super self-aware about the technology stuff about the sex stuff and and, and it's just so it's so compelling and uh just like any there's a line I'll, I'll end on this there's a line where he says uh free will is not a very big factor in this world of ours and then uh, she responds, just like the real world, it's just enough to make it interesting. So, like, and it makes – I mean, it's – it's yeah, in some ways it's kind of edgelordy. But in, 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 when you really think about it, what, she, what they're saying is, like, you are not Superman. You are not Neo. You, you do not bend every every molecule of your nature, of your world around you. You are driven by decisions that were made for you previously – your reality is already in a sense simulated your reality is already in a sense driven you are already boxed in your decisions are already boxed in so make the best decisions you can within the current context because that's the only free will you have and i find that super interesting
1: yeah no it is a really great movie and i was so happy to revisit it um it's it's one of these movies I feel like this has been happening a lot, having a lot with The Matrix, where the ideas being presented are so compelling that we end up talking about those and how they relate to to what we're seeing now and 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 just and and all the philosophy being expressed and like the concerns and what that means for us as like literally a society human race. And you know, honestly, that's like the Biggest praise that you can give a science fiction movie from a certain amount of years ago. Like the idea that – because that's what science fiction is in a lot of ways. It's, it's it's you know, reaching out to the future or the future tech or something like that to kind of uh, – especially science fiction like this, The Matrix, to talk about like – what's going on now or some sort of allegorical thing that they they want to talk about and when you can and a lot of times that that's why I like science fiction a lot of science fiction when you go back to it actually feels really of its time even though it's supposed to be in the future because it is addressing specific societal issues of the day and as such um or, like, uh, technological fears of the day. It's why, like, movies like The Net or Hackers or some of these movies are kind of, like, laughable now. Because those aren't quite science fiction, but it's that same idea of, like, oh, like, in 1995 you were worried about the internet? It feels stupid with the way that you've presented it. And, uh, sorry, Brandon Lade, I know you love that movie. Uh, <laughs> but w- when you go back to, like, a Matrix or Existence or... Um, a lot of these movies that, that really like tapped into something bigger, Night of the Living Dead, great example, where you watch that and it feels just as, uh, you know, uh, it's sad that's the case, but it feels just as vital and relevant as ever. And you can watch these things and go like, this feels like of its time, but still applicable to me 20, 30, Case of Night of the Living Dead 60 years later. Like, there, there's not a better praise for like a science fiction movie. Like, somehow they hit the target on the head for 1999 and 2019. Like, it, it's like something that's essentially impossible to do on purpose. Like, everyone wants to do that. But, you know, Cronenberg – and again, we said it before. Same thing with Videodrome for him. It is amazing how prescient he was uh, in how and how resonant his movies about, like, where we were headed would still be decades after the fact. So, yeah. Love this movie. Glad we got a chance to revisit it. And really taking a, taking a big swerve here with our last one for the month uh, in both that we're, we're talking about movies from not 1999, but uh, one from the, the 80s, 1984, I believe, and one from 2010 because we're doing Tron and Tron Legacy. And I, I don't know how much... Uh, I really like both these movies. I don't. I don't
0: feel like we'll be in as much philosophical land for these. No, it'll probably just be talking about cool technology stuff. But hey, we got a, a Daft lot. Punk. That's that's. But that's the advantage of doing the format of the show is that we can get a lot of our our heady bullshit out of the way. In specific, the specific themes that run through this movie, we can we can break them apart and talk about. Uh, you know the deeper implications of of uh, alternate reality. Uh, this week, um, yeah. And I'm not and saying talk we about light cycles deep, next, but week yeah, we are we are goofballs. But uh, next week we can be just just goofballs.
1: Yeah, or just talk about light cycles or cool scenes. Uh, yeah, not to weirdly pat ourselves on the back for the format of the show, but like the reason why we quickly pivoted to 90 second recap and not having to spend any time with the plot if we don't want to is that we we hope that you know that whatever we want to talk about whatever we're like passionate about bringing to the table here uh ends up being what we discuss and so yeah i'm sure this will be edited down but we you know we talked about two and a half hours and up just about how like man watching this just felt like a like the like some sort of like time traveler giving us perspective on the world as it exists now. And like, yeah, that's what I wanted to talk about. And Peter, hopefully that's also what you wanted to talk about. Uh
0: yeah. That's exactly what I want to talk about. So uh what do we have? Uh let's we'll talk about it after. Uh, yeah, well yeah, we got a good plan for May, but
1: you got two movies to watch and yeah, as far as we know, Peter, this is the last episode we we're recording before your bachelor weekend that we talked quite a lot about on the Company of Wolves episode. I re-listened to that, so I remembered all my bits. Um, good bits, but yeah, good bits. Uh, we'll uh, we'll see if the next time you hear us, it's awkward. Uh, this could be the last. This could be the last episode that we don't do out of uh, necessity for already booked guests, depending on how it goes. Uh,
0: have you heard of self fulfilling prophecies? Uh,
1: yeah. Yeah, I try to fulfill as many as possible because uh, you have to be true to yourself. So as as they say,
0: yeah, that's. Um...
1: So, yeah, uh, be- great way to end. Be true to yourself. Go fulfill some prophecies.
0: <laughs> Go fulfill some self-fulfilling prophecies. Good night. Good night.
1: Hey folks, thank you for listening to
0: We Love to Watch. Thank you so much for listening to our show, and we've got just a few quick announcements for you. There ain't nothing in the rule book that says that we can't do some of our own plugs, baby. If you'd like to, talk to us. Uh, tell us we're stupid. Tell us we're beautiful. The quickest way to get to us is our Facebook group, facebook.com/slash we love to watch, or our website wltwpodcast.com. Leave us a comment. Tell us we're doing a good job. Only tell us we're doing a good job. We're so sensitive. We're sensitive boys. We're soft boys. And uh, if you'd like to help other people, if you
1: enjoy our show and want other people to be able to listen to this fine, fine program that we produce at no cost, we don't get any money for this. You guys have yet to pay us anything. We live and we breathe off of good reviews from iTunes. So if you would please go to iTunes, review our show, give us a positive rating. We would love to get more and more people
0: involved in this show and this community. I know you hear it all the time, but it really does help. And we're also available, if you don't use iTunes, we're also available on Google Music, Stitcher, TuneIn. We're currently on SoundCloud. We'll take that
1: out if SoundCloud goes away. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. Thanks for listening. Stay tuned, guys, on our Facebook page especially. We're going to have a lot more polls, a lot more prizes, and a lot more uh, interaction with you guys. So keep it tuned in. Uh, let us know what you guys are thinking. And again... Above all else, thanks for listening to We Love to Watch.